Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 147 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 6th, 2010. Wow, I can't believe we're in December already. Uh, we are got, we have a great show for you on the podcast, the end of the season show. So 13 games in the books, 8-5 and five record for the USC Trojans. We're going to talk about all, all about that rivalry victory over UCLA. We've got Coach Harvey Hyde. We have Dan Weber is going to join us, and Gerard Martinez. We're going to talk about some recruiting, so lots to get to on the podcast this last episode of the 2010 football season, and we'll talk a lot more about what the future holds and recruiting and all that stuff in future episodes here. But if you have any questions or comments for us, remember, we're doing the show on Mondays now, so send them in whenever you can and try to get them in before Monday morning, so we, before we tape the show. You can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address, or call us, 206-888-6755 is our voicemail number. Leave us a voicemail. We can play your call on the air, and Coach Harvey Hyde or myself or whoever can answer the question for you. And like we mentioned, Coach, a couple times already, he's the mayor of Pasadena, the mayor of the Rose Bowl. He was down there. He knows what's going on when USC goes to the Rose Bowl. What's up, Coach? Buddy, I tell you, I've been feeling pretty good this whole weekend. It's a great feeling. You know, winning solves every problem you could possibly have, health-wise, money-wise, anything. I tell you, when you get a good win and you think the kids played hard and a game they were supposed to win, they won, I mean, what can you ask more? You go into the off-season, the holiday season and everything with a positive attitude. I noticed everybody took out their USC hats and sweatshirts yesterday. They were wearing them all around Manhattan Beach everywhere I went. Didn't see one UCLA hat anywhere I went. So that's the type of season they're going to have as far as the off season. A good day for the Trojans yesterday. SC's basketball team beat Texas. This is the water polo team won their third straight national championship in water polo, beating Cal, I think it was 12-10. So if you're a SC fan out there, it's a great holiday season. And, uh, you know, a lot of pressure was on Coach Kiffin and Coach Neuheisel. And now Coach Kiffin gets on the big white horse traveling, goes out <laughs> recruiting. And uh, Neuheisel's got a, a lot of critics uh, now that are going to be on him even harder than what they were before. So, as I said when we started this segment, isn't it great to win? It just puts you in a great mood. Certainly does, Coach. And I think it's a, it'll be a good boost for this this coaching staff and this young team to, to get something positive going in the off season. Obviously it wasn't a very positive off season last year. So maybe it's something that this team can build on going forward because they, they need something good to happen. And they've had some good wins. You know, there's definitely, you know, wins over Arizona and Arizona state. I mean, there were some good wins in there, even a Hawaii team that looks a lot better. You know, that win people were a little questioning that and beating your rival UCLA. I mean, th- there was a little bit of a sting from, from losing to Notre Dame, but I think, you know, that, fixes at least some of the ails that USC had by beating UCLA. Yes, you've started your rehab when that happens. You've started now to go back and look at your first year of coaching at USC, and you've grown up a lot. You've been able to, you know, test the waters. You've been able to coach the players that you really weren't that aware of. You know what players can do and what they can't do. You've worked together as a staff for the first time. You know, there's a lot of things that, that you have to become accustomed to when you first put a staff together. New players, new formations, new new discipline, uh, a lot of uh, NCAA requirements uh, regarding practice and this and that and all these different things you have to adhere to and be extra careful on every type of, of move, that you, move that you make and so on. So it's a lot of pressure on you. And I think that it, it it affected this year's season. I really believe that. And I call this season the if season, which means you're going to have people say, if we'd have won this game, if we'd have kicked that field goal, if we'd have played good two-minute defense towards the end of the game, if, 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 if we could have had a real good season. So, 
you know, you've got to be happy with what you have. Probably there's uh, uh, 90% of the teams out there of the 120 NCAA Division One teams that are saying we wish we were 8-5. and five. So uh, they would have been, if they could have gone to the bowl with an 8-5 and five record, they probably would have been in the Holiday Bowl, which is not a bad bowl game to go to and be playing uh, Nebraska. So, uh, you know, there's always things that are positive uh, when you look at a season, and uh, I think that's with a win over UCLA gives you that type of start. I agree, Coach. Well, I want to thank our sponsor for this segment. They've been great sponsors pretty much the whole length of this podcast. We're going on uh, – we're, we're approaching three the three-year mark, which is pretty impressive, but uh, Southern California wow. tickets. Uh, wow, I got one more year eligibility unless I take a redshirt year. <laughs> We're going to be juniors. <laughs> and Coach has been with us the whole way, and so is Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Or give him a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Uh, bowl games and stuff coming up. We've got some of that. You can go down to the Holly Bowl, see Washington play Nebraska, things like that. Or if concerts, sporting events, other sporting events, the theater, if you want to go to Laker games, stuff like that. Just want to thank Southern California Tickets, and sctickets.com is their website. And you know what I want to say? I want to say happy holiday seasons to everyone out there. I really do, because this is a great time of the year, unless you're a head football coach getting fired, because this is the time of year when all of the coaches lose their jobs. And remember, when you're a head football coach and you lose your job, normally that's 26 positions on your staff. I'm talking about secretary, strength coaches, academic advisors, the whole package that goes into the holiday season with a very negative feeling. So for all of you that are out there, happy holiday seasons to you. And for all those football coaches that are, bit, that are out there going through that turmoil period, everything will work out for the best. All right. We wish them all luck, Coach. And I think a USC fans want to wish Rick Neuheisel luck. They hope he sticks. <laughs> they hope he st- there was a, you know a- what I used to say? What? It's a funny thing. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but we're sort of in a good mood today. You know, coaches, people used to call me and, say, what do you think of this coach at Nevada? What do you think of this coach over here? What do you think of this coach? And I'd say, I think he's a great coach, especially if I could meet him every year. See? And I'd say, yeah, he ought to have another year. He really needs another two years. They ought to give him an extension. It'll help him in recruiting and so on. <laughs> so a coach you beat, you really recommend highly. A coach you can't beat, oh, man, you got to recommend that he moves on takes a bigger job. In fact, you call around and tell people, you know, this guy's a hell of a coach. You better hire this guy because he's really great. Yeah, you got to get rid of those. So, uh, you know, don't, you know, New Heisel right now is what, 0-3 against USC? Yeah. And right now, I feel sorry for Rick. I really do because the newspapers are pounding him. In a, you know, I've been in his shoes. I know what, the, what it's like not to be successful and have all these you know, people talking about you all the time. He's got children. He's got a wife that goes, you know, his wife can be shopping at the market and people don't even know who she is. And you'll hear him in the line. My wife used to say, talking about the game, he's an idiot. What kind of idiot is that? They should get rid of him. And she'd just stand there and listen to all of that. So, you know, you never know who you're sitting next to in the stands. (laughs) You never know when you're in the market, if that's a coach's wife or whatever. So, uh, you know, it, it's a tough time, and, and don't get me wrong. Coaches get paid a lot of money to win. They don't get a lot of pay, get paid a lot of money to lose, and they understand the situation when they go into these positions that if I don't win, then I know what's going to happen. But it's just a difficult time. You know what I mean? Yeah, certainly, Coach. And, uh, you know, there will be a lot of turmoil and stuff going on. There might be some turnover on the USC staff. We'll see. It could be some upward movement. I don't know. We'll figure it out, but we'll we'll have it all on uscfootball.com. You can check it out there, of course. Uh, well, let's get to some questions, Coach. Um, all right. We did have a, a voicemail question. This was actually before the game. We had a we had a, several questions, Coach, that came in before the game because now we've changed the times of Monday, so people are kind of getting used to when to send the questions in and stuff. But there was obviously a lot of frustration after the Notre Dame game before the UCLA game. But here's one of those questions that came in before the actual game was played. Hey, Ryan, I just had a quick question about the game on Saturday. If uh, looking at uh, USC's offensive line and their inability to move uh, Notre Dame's uh, defensive front, if uh, Coach Kiffin has any ideas or plans to recruit 
uh, offensive lineman a lot more than Pete Carroll did. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. So, well, so, you know, I think you're always trying to find great linemen, and he's made a statement, too, uh, if you people here. He's, he's looking for offensive linemen, defensive linemen. He realizes that's where the war is won and lost, and also linebackers and so on. And, yeah, you've got to be able to own the line of scrimmage. You've got to be, own, be able to own both sides of the ball. That is where exactly the war is won. I think also on top of that, you've got to put together what you call your short yardage offense, things that your players believe in and plays that you believe in as far as we will not be denied this third one. We will not be denied when we're first and four on the goal line. We will score this type of uh, attitude offense where you double down, kick out, or hook the end, depending what he does, and pull your guard and go off tackle and so on. They're all zone blocking. They don't do much of the power type of blocking at USC. So, you know, it's it's difficult to get in on zone blocking when everybody's submarining on short yardage and you're not really getting off the line of scrimmage that, that hard or fast. So, yeah, I think that that's one area that USC needs to improve on, the toughness of their offensive line. They did improve and play well against UCLA, but I don't know just how good UCLA is. But I'll be willing to tell you this, and, and I don't know if you compare the teams. I would think UCLA is about the same caliber of, of Notre Dame. And I think the difference in the game was in the Notre Dame game, the Trojans let Notre Dame beat them because they I don't think SC was really trying to win the game. They were trying not to lose the game. And I think in the UCLA game, they went in the game and they had to win that game. They're supposed to win that game. They're a better football team. If they didn't win that football game, then their players were outplayed and their coaches were outcoached. And I felt the same way about the Notre Dame game. And uh, obviously they should have been successful against Notre Dame. They cannot be denied certain situations. It took them four downs to get in down there on that one touchdown. Four turnovers and you don't win. The defense created three turnovers against UCLA, one being a touchdown. Malcolm Smith's run, which is what you call team play and getting it done. So I agree with you. You have to have offense and defensive linemen to win. Coach, I had a question on that too. I mean, that's why I wanted to play that. Just, I, I, you know, you're right. Lane Kiffin has talked about they got to recruit more on the lines. They're bringing in. They brought a bunch of guys in for the Notre Dame game. There's some JC guys. Um, they're they're going to do whatever they can to try and get more offensive linemen and transfers like a, a Aaron Douglas who was at Tennessee before. You know, is at JC now, but. What what I saw against UCLA, you and even against Notre Dame, it seemed like the pass blocking has been pretty good. And I don't know if that's just because of the the zone blocking schemes or whatever, but the maybe you can comment on that. The run blocking against UCLA, it was at times it was good, and then at other times, I mean, with that one, Allen Bradford lost like seven yards. It seemed like that you know the, the lineman didn't block anybody. There was just guys in the backfield all the time. How was there such a big discrepancy from play to play? Well, let me tell you, when you when you have a philosophy and you're going to run the football, then you, you have a thought that you're going to run it. I, I don't know if they went into the game thinking they were going to run uh, Allen Bradford, uh, you know, 28 times. But big-time players make big-time plays, and you can't be discouraged when you only make one yard or two yards. And sometimes you're not going to make uh, big yardage, even with uh, James, uh, Michael James at Oregon, he'll get thrown for a loss occasionally, but you just stay at it. You stay at it. You keep pounding. You keep pounding. The rhythm gets there. Sometimes they just guess right on defense. They blitz into the hole, or they, 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 they're outnumbered you over there, and your quarterback doesn't see it. The audible eyes away from it. But you've got to just keep pounding and pounding, just like they did. They wore down UCLA in that football game. And, you know, Bradford's a big hulk of a man to knock down. And then all of a sudden, not only is he powerful, but he's got great speed. He demonstrated that. And that is the first big play, that run. Not the run, not, not the fumble recovery, which was 68 yards or whatever, but that run that Allen did, I forget how many yards it was. 73, yeah. 73 yards was the first big play that I can remember in the last six, seven games. I can't even remember when we, when, when SC had a big play like that. And that's the type of players that they have. They have players that are going to make big plays. So you can't be discouraged if you miss a post route or you miss a streak. You've got to come back and do it again and do it again and do it again. 
and eventually it's going to happen. You just can't do a lot of things. You've got to do what you do really well. And uh, and I think that that's gonna you know sometimes you know I I believe they should run the toss better the sweep better they they don't run it enough to really believe to get it done well, you got to be able to pull those guys around and come around that corner and guys say look out man here they come and have fear that play and the only way you fear that play is you run it over and over and over and you convince your team that we cannot be stopped we cannot be stopped with this play. They want to hear you call that play, but they can't wait to get out and pull it, pull the guards and put the, you know, run out and run out, run the, run the corners down and block the heck out of people. So, uh, you're not going to always get positive yards. You always want positive yards, but times you won't get it. It just you have a breakdown in your blocking scheme, or they outnumber you, or they get penetration, or they blitzing in that area, and that happens. All right, coach. Well, let's get to some other questions too. Uh... Our friend John likes to run in questions. He had, I think it was like a page and a half of questions. It was, it was like a month's worth of podcasts we could do. So I sent him an email. We'll try to consolidate some of that stuff a little bit. But he had some interesting comments. I wanted to get your kind of comment on. He's he's not really sad that the season is over. He was he's kind of been frustrated, and a lot of the questions he sent in have been have showed his frustration. Frustration. He said, starting with the coaching changes and the sanctions, it seemed that everything was out of whack from the start and he thought that the energy and enthusiasm was never really what they've been accustomed to over the past few years, uh, obviously during the Pete Carroll, or Pete Carroll era. And he thought that too many times they played down to the opponent's level. Um, he wasn't sure if it was coaching or just the personality of the players or, you know, maybe a combination of everything coming into the season, but just, it has, it has felt a little bit different coach. And when you go through an off season like that, which is, you know, if not the worst, one of the worst in college football history, there was a, it was a tall order for Lane Kiffin and the staff, a new staff, to come in, replace the legend, and, and try to perform well on the field. I, I agree with all of the above. First of all, I think the, the team was mentally fatigued through the offseason and what's been going through all their minds and the decisions and having teammates being recruited away and all this and that. Changing coaching staff, a coach, a change in philosophy as far as uh, discipline measures and philosophy and how the team's going to be run and so on. I think that uh, Coach Kiffin's a, a lot harder on the players than what Coach Carroll was. Coach Carroll had the liberty of having some great players, great, great players. They had fun all the time. He took them to movies. He ran around practice, kidded with people and so on. And And the reason he understood that, and Coach Kiffin understands it, when I have better players than you, I don't want to screw them up. I just want to keep them loose and ready to play and let them display their skills. And he went out and got great, great players. Now, Coach Kiffin has not had that that type of surplus of players. The player numbers are down in numbers as far as scholarship players and also in talent. Let's be let's be realistic. The, when you take a look at the linebackers compared to the linebackers that have been there in the past, Secondary people that have been there in the past, a lot of young, good talent, but not the experience. Uh, you've got a sophomore quarterback that's been struggling and been injured. Uh, you you don't have the great tight ends that you've had in the past. You've got great receivers. You haven't gotten them the ball. Uh, there's been a lot of things that have been question marks, and, and sometimes you're not playing down to your opponent. You just play hard, and I think this team played really hard early in the year. I really do. I think they get, they had a let-up uh, against uh, Notre Dame. I don't think they played as hard as they played in the other games. But beating Arizona and Arizona State, I thought, was a, a par type of talent. Hey, Arizona State's got great talent. Arizona State next year might be the favorite in the South Division of the Pac-12. I really believe that. They've got everybody coming back. They only have 13 players that were seniors, and they, and they beat Arizona in the last game and, and so on. So, uh, you know, I think it's been a year where everyone expected more, and everybody thought it would be better than what it was. And the change, of course, everyone notices because he's a different personality. The staff's a different personality. Well, all the sanction and rules and regulations going on when a Ray Malaluga can't, can't even go and watch football practice after what he's done as far as for the USC 
football program. That's strange. That's ridiculous. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of adjustment, too, in this year's program. But, but I agree uh, that there were games they just should have won because they were better, one of them being Washington and the other one being Notre Dame. Now, if you take those two teams right there with those wins, you've got 10 wins. I think anybody would have taken a 10-3 season at the beginning of the season at any time. Stanford, they played really well up there, but uh, I think they played maybe above their head against Stanford, uh, but they played well, and they had a chance to win that. But I'm not counting that game. I'm just talking about two games that they should have won that maybe they played below their level. Even even if you look at Oregon State, the teams that they lost to all around the USC win, there was like this this gem in the middle was a USC victory, and then they lost to Washington State and UCLA, all these other teams, and some of them weren't even competitive. So that's that's a, that's maybe the head scratcher of the year, Coach. That that lost to Oregon State. It was a blowout. I mean, it was their worst loss, but it was it shouldn't have been that way. <laughs> no, it shouldn't have been, and and that was a complete complete uh, team loss. From the players to the coaches to the play calling, it was a complete package. I think when I did the post-game show, the Trojan Bunch show the next Sunday, I said I'd throw that film away, destroy it, have no record of it ever as far as being a Trojan football game. And, I, and I'll tell you, that's why I didn't talk about that game being an if game and a game they should have won because they got outplayed. They weren't going to win that football game. They got their butts kicked, okay? Now, games I'm talking about that you feel bad losing – are games when you should have won those games. Now, they didn't have a shot at that game. They, they were out of the game for the, the whole time. Now, games against Notre Dame should have won that game. There's no excuse for that. Even, you know, who they are. Notre Dame, big name. But should have won that game. Washington, no excuse. No excuse to losing to Washington. Not that they don't have a good football program and this and that and all of that, but they're at home. they got to win that game. they got to blow those people out. It's a grudge game. It's a game that, you you know, you own your Southern California recruiting against them. Uh, so And, yes, they should beat Oregon State. They didn't, but they weren't in that game. So I'm not even counting that game. They got their, their certainly you-know-what butt kicked. <laughs> Certainly. All right, well, let's get to another question and comment. This is from Dash. He says, quite frankly, it appears that Lane Kiffin is a little stubborn. I know he's inexperienced as a head coach and will have to grow into the job, but it seems like he's intent on proving, in parentheses, to whom, that when he decides to do something, that is it. He also appears to be overanalyzing, overthinking things, and making the games more difficult than they need to be on the offensive side. Your uh, thoughts on that one, Coach? Well, I agree with this gentleman. And I think I've been saying that all along, that when you have great athletes, you want to do things well. I, I think you can overcoach. I think you can over try to trick people. You can be a little bit too fancy. In fact, uh, Coach Kiffin was on my show, or our show, Sunday morning, and uh, the question was asked to him about that fake field goal where they shifted out and they weren't going to kick it. And he said that was he was we were messing around. He said that's John Baxter's fault. And I said you're exactly right, Coach. People don't realize you put that in so that when Minnesota was scouting you, they'll have to defend against it. We had a good laugh on that. You know, you can get a little bit too cute. You can try to outcoach yourself. There's certain times you need the points. You need to get on the board. Get on the board. And I think that uh, uh, you can run too many formations. You can confuse your players. You can take the athletic ability away from your players when the players are thinking. You don't have to do a lot of things. You just have to do them well. And you got to get a groove going. you got to get your players involved in the game. they got to stay focused. they got to want to win for you. And I'll tell you, the number one thing a new head coach has to do with a program is get the confidence of his players, get them to realize that he they he cares about them off the field, and then they'll care about him on the field. What I mean, you've got to make sure that your players know you sincerely love them, and if they have a problem, your door's always open to them, and those players have a way of taking care of you too. So, you know, I think that's part of growing up, being a little bit too, doing a little bit too much, trying to be a little bit sometimes too stiff, and he's got a good personality. He just got to let it flow a little bit. He's very witty. 
Reminds me of some time of his wit, uh, like John McKay. But he's got to open up a little bit more, let people know who he is, learn on the job, learn from mistakes, and move on. I think he's going to learn on the job, too. And just to be fair, I mean, maybe you should you can comment on this, to- Coach, too, but I think a lot of coaches are stubborn. I mean, Pete Carroll, you could probably argue he was more stubborn. I mean, Lane Kiffin at least came out and said, hey, if we make a decision on personnel, doesn't mean that guy's starting for the whole year. I mean, it's it seemed at times that Pete Carroll would do that. Like, hey, we made a decision. This guy's starting. He's going to start her. This guy's in the doghouse. I'm not sure Pete Carroll would have said, you know, we didn't play Alan Bradford for a couple of weeks. I think that was a mistake. He's going in and becomes a star of the game. And, and, you know, Lane joked about it. Well, it makes me look like an idiot because why wasn't I starting him before? You know, and they, he, I think he, there's definitely some stubborn qualities, but I think he's also shown the ability to like, I will make changes when I think that's what we need to do. And, you know, the, the Alan Bradford being able to start and come in and be the superstar is one of those. I agree with you, and I commended him on that yesterday. I told him, I said, one thing I really respect you for, you don't pass the buck when something doesn't go right. You take the responsibility for that. And I said, I think that's really great. And uh, Pete Carroll was an outstanding coach at USC. had great, I mean, maybe his record will never be touched, probably won't ever. But sometimes he would answer a question, and I didn't know what he said. He was real good at, at uh, blowing off questions and talking about other things and never really coming to the point. Lane Kiffin will come to the point. He will tell you exactly how he feels. And, uh, you know, following John Wooden isn't easy. Following John McKay isn't easy or Woody Hayes and all of these legends that have been around. And Pete Carroll's a legend at USC. So, you know, it's very difficult to come in and follow one of those coaches, especially with all the probation and all the off-season and the recruiting of your players and not knowing who's going to be there and the appeal going on, you know, how many scholarships you have. Hey, it's a tough job. But I say this. He makes big money. He knows what he's going to get when he takes that job. I've been in those shoes, but I didn't make make big money. But... The university expects a certain quality of program. And winning is something that USC demands. It's that type of program. So if you win there, winning solves all problems. All problems. Things are overlooked as far as personalities and play calling and this and that. So when you win... It solves a lot of program or problems. When you don't win, it creates more problems. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, you know, that's a, a period that all of the coaches, including myself, know that that's what you have when you accept the job. You're going to make a lot of money, but you're going to have a lot of pressure, and you got to win. Yeah, I don't think anyone was complaining about Nick Saban's uh, not-so-rosy personality when he was winning a national championship. So you're right, no. Coach. It definitely does winning. Well, I got an email from Dan Weber, and he had to go into a dentist appointment. So if you want, Coach, we can stay and do a couple more questions and go a little bit longer. I know it's we're pushing already. But a yep. dentist appointment? Yeah. That's not a heart condition. Now, the only way you're excused <laughs> if you have a heart problem, <laughs> dental problem. What is the deal for that? I don't know. Gerard had a tooth pulled, too, like last week, so we've had all kinds of dental issues on the— That's uh, non-excusable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's mostly just he's do, having it done while we're taping, and I don't feel like taping it off late into the afternoon. So that's mostly why. But do you have all a couple right, minutes? Right. You want to yeah, join? Yeah, we'll go. Co- we'll go a couple more minutes. Okay. Um, well, your friend Coach G wanted to know. He wanted to ask both of you guys, but we'll obviously we're just going to have it talk to you. But he wanted to know what's going on. This was after the Notre Dame as well. The coaching staff needs to wake up. He doesn't like the conservative NFL philosophy, and he wants obviously, to be a little bit more of an aggressive style. He doesn't like the conservative. He wants to attack, attack, attack on both sides of the ball. And he's like, Coach, ask Coach Hyde, what is going on? Well, you know, I think uh, I I sort of pointed to that. That's a football game that USC should have won. There's no excuses that they didn't beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame is not a good football team. I mean, if they would have played that game the same tempo and hardness and upbeat that they did against UCLA, it's, it's almost the same type of team. I mean, 
UCLA doesn't have a quarterback. Not to get the kid, I don't even use his name, but they're not going to beat you by, by their quarterback throwing the ball or running the ball or anything. I mean, he's a non-threat. You take away the running running game from UCLA, you won the football game. It's, it's as simple as that. And then don't make mistakes, don't have turnovers, and score a few points, they never can catch up with you. Well, that's the same thing Notre Dame was. Tommy Reese, uh, he's, not, he's a nice kid, but he's not going to beat you throwing the football. They, they had had, what, <clears throat> three interceptions or something in that game and saw him let him throw the ball. Just take the run away. That's the only way Notre Dame could have moved the ball. And don't be conservative on offense. Mitch Mustaine is a great player. Let it hang out. Run at him. Play action pass. Don't be afraid to throw the ball down the field. Post patterns, cross patterns, and so on. And eventually, you'll hit one of those. Now, they played Notre Dame game very conservatively. And I didn't think they should have. You've got a guy that's played before. Let him have the confidence that you're going to open it up. Let the defense of Notre Dame know that, hey, they aren't going to be conservative here. They might be more open now than they were with Matt Barkley. Let it hang out. If you remember the way Matt Barkley opened the UCLA game, they probably four or five of their first routes were deep routes. They said, we're going to loosen the secondary up. They're going to think about our deep patterns, and they did that. So, you know, I think they should have played the Notre Dame game the same way. You've got to play to win. You can't be afraid to, to open up. You can't be afraid to do certain things. And sometimes you, as a coach, become too, too conservative, and you, and, and, and you can't make a game that you're supposed to win a close game and encourage an inferior team to you. When you've got an inferior team, you've got to let that guy know right off the bat they don't have a chance. We're going to pound you and beat you, so you might as well bring the white flag out at halftime and we'll play running time the second half to keep the score down. And I, and, and I think that's what they didn't come with that attitude against Notre Dame. Well, Coach G, hopefully uh, you enjoyed the UCLA game a little bit better than you did the uh, Notre Dame game. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll hear from him next week. We'll get his thoughts on how the season went and stuff. We'll do some kind of season recap show maybe or something next week. Uh, Kevin had a question. He's actually excited. Uh, he's like, I know next year's a long ways away, but I'm excited for 2011 and the Pac-12 already. But he wants to know who's going to replace Ronald Johnson as a starting receiver next year. Do you think Carswell, Butler, Kyle Prater, or maybe a guy like George Farmer, who is Robert Woods' high school teammate, who plays at Sarah High School. They're still playing in the playoffs right now. He's not committed to USC. Um, I mean, he's definitely a guy that's big on USC's radar. But what do you think about the receiver position next year, Coach? I, I think the receiver position uh, has great receivers. Uh, if there's one position that <clears throat> Whether if I was a receiver coming into school being recruited, I'd, I'd say, uh, man, if I go there, I might have to wait. Uh, they got great receiver. Butler's a great receiver. Carswell's a great receiver. I mean, and and Osbury, I'm, I'm gonna tell. You, I don't know what happened to him. The last two games, it's not like he's 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 been around. And uh, you know, he, he you know, I don't know if he got in the doghouse or whatever happened. But I tell you, he's great talent. And uh, they they don't have a problem at receivers. I, I don't know uh, what the kind of offense they're going to run, obviously. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to run the same type of offense, but they've got to somehow utilize their tight end more in their offense no matter what they do. Now, they have this Grimble kid from, uh, that's redshirted this year. He's been hurt, ankles and whatever. I hope he does mature into a great tight end. If he continually gets bigger, he's going to be moved down to be a tackle. I know that. Uh, but uh, you got to have you got to have the only way you have a great threat in a passing game is you got to have a great tight end, okay? If you don't cause the secondary problems with your tight end, then you you really they double cover you to the outside and if you don't utilize your backs and so on in the passing game, they they you're no threat. You can't spread the field. See, I feel that you don't an H back. I don't know if people remember what an H back was, but he's a combination of a tight end and a big receiver. And you know, you sometimes can do better with that type of player, a tight slot, than a tight end. 
Osbury would have been very good at that. Uh, right now, I think that the, the caliber of the tight end play, not that these kids don't play well, but they don't utilize their tight end. Now, they threw to him in the UCLA game a couple of times. In fact, Dylan Baxter threw a touchdown pass to them. And, and, you know, since we bring that up, let me tell you what I would do, too, with Dylan Baxter. I would not play him as a tailback or running back in the offense. I would make a complete package that this is the Baxter package, and that's the Wildcat offense. If you want to run the Wildcat offense, don't do it halfway. Do it all the way. This kid has played uh, the tailback position in a Wildcat. He knows the reads. He knows how to fake. He knows how to run uh, uh, the option. He knows how to throw the ball out of it. Uh, Just quit trying to implement it with your regular offense. Just say, you know, you have the same offensive line and all that, but I'm talking about, you know, that's your package. We're going to do the Wildcat. He's in there. We're going to run a series with it or a play with it or so on and let him run it the way it's supposed to be run because he knows how to run it and uh, make it part of your offensive package when you need to use it. I I really think that. Uh, Coach, first comment on the original question I think Kyle Prater has got an excellent chance of, of being that guy. I mean, he redshirted this year, middle of the season when he was healthy again. He was just making plays. There was NFL scouts on the sidelines at practice, and he was a guy that was popping out there, and he wasn't even playing. You know, it's kind of interesting. But we'll see what happens with the receiver position and right. who they get in this class. As far as Baxter goes, um, I mean, he kind of hurt himself, obviously. there was you know He had some off-the-field issues kind of stuff coming in the beginning of the season, and he never really got off on the right foot. And it kind of was a combination of the question we had earlier with the, the tumultuous offseason and everything that was going wrong. It just it seemed like there was going to be a zero-tolerance, no-nonsense kind of policy. And if you're screwing up, you know, the coaching staff had enough problems going in. If you're going to be a problem, too, you're not going to see the field. And I think this was finally what USC fans wanted to see is Dylan Baxter come out, run the Wildcat, and it wasn't going to be a – a runoff tackle. It was going, or, you know, with a fake handoff somewhere. It was going to be, you know, roll out and throw a pass, and and that pass looked great. I mean, I was standing right in the end zone in front of that. I'm curious to see if they do that more. I think they do. I think they want to utilize him more. I just don't know how much of the offense you think it would be, Coach. Is it? Does it? If you come in too much with that, does it take the normal quarterback out of rhythm if he has to come out of the game all the time? Like, how do you kind of uh, balance that all out? Well, I don't know how you balance it all out, but, but you know, you've, if you're going to run it, then run it with somebody that can run it, I mean, where there's a real threat with it. You know, when Tyler's running back there, it's a, it's a single wing, okay? And you don't have all the threat that you think you should have. I mean, I'm saying run the play, the option, the whole package for Baxter. Uh, uh, if you're going to do it. And I think it's good to have that. I think it, there's some times when you come in, it forces teams to prepare for you, especially if you're good at it, and I think you'd be good at it. And then on the offensive side, you're running backs, quit fooling around, make Tyler your running back next year, and let Morgan be your backup or whoever. And that's your one-two punch offensively as far as the tailback position. Let people have a role in what they're good at. They don't have them do everything. Just have them be fantastic at what they do. So, you know, when you when you have that package, people have to work on it. And I think Baxter would be great at it. I really do. I think that, that he would run it really well the way, the way it's supposed to be run, not just halfway. So if you're going to run it, run it. And, uh, you know, let me, let me tell you, it wouldn't hurt because, you know, I don't know who's going to be the backup quarterback next year. I really don't know. There's a lot of questions there. So, you know, you might need to have something in reserve in case someone gets hurt. But you've got two freshmen coming in, but I don't know just how good they are and if they're ready to play. You've got John Manugian, who is a walk-on quarterback, who's a good kid and throws the ball well, but I haven't seen him in game conditions. And you've got, what, Eric Scroggins or whatever Jesse Scroggins. He had Jesse Scroggins. He hadn't played. So, I, you know, I don't think he's ready to play. So you've got to start thinking about what you're going to do at quarterback, too. No, certainly, Coach. Uh, well, one last thing. We, you know, we ran a little long. I just want to maybe get your thoughts on the season as a whole. Any huge surprises? What did, what did you think about this 2010 Trojan football season? Ups and downs. There was a lot going on. 
a lot going on. I don't know how long we have, but the first thing I think that surprised me the most was uh, was the defense. I thought in the spring the defense was going to be what carried the USC Trojan football team this year. Uh, I think that uh, the evaluation of the defense was uh, a little bit overrated uh, as far as talent level and as far as what they accomplished this year. Uh, they played sometimes sound and sometimes really didn't play much very good defense. A uh, couple of games possibly could have been won if they were able to just hang in there and, and stop someone. Early in the season, the offense carried the defense. At the end of the season, somewhat, the defense carried the offense. Uh, I think that if they would have started off stronger defensively, there would have been a more better rhythm on the defensively. If they'd have started off better, there'd been a better rhythm with the team, with the offense playing well and the defense playing well. The defense, I don't think, really got their push. I don't think anybody on the defense uh, should leave and go out early. I don't think there should be a player on the team that goes out early. There isn't any talent level. I don't think there's a first-round player on USC's team right now. That's, And I'm not trying to belittle the players. I'm just saying... They need to get back into it and and play up to their potential. I don't know how many players played up to their potential defensively, but I didn't see any dominance on defense. What I mean is absolute dominance, where there was intimidation going on. Probably the most intimidating player at the end of the year was this Tony Burnett, walk-on from the track team. I mean, man, he was in the picture all the time knocking people down. T.J. McDonald was a player that... I think there's a dominating type of player that wants to knock your lights out. Uh, these are the type of things I did not see on the defensive side of the ball, a defensive end that just could not be blocked. Uh, a defensive lineman, Casey came the closer to it, and they probably did double-team him a lot and stuff, but a guy that just dominating. So the defense, I thought, in the spring was going to be the answer. And the offense would come along. Offensively, I think that what happened offensively, uh, uh, the thing that uh, I think they've got to sure up a little bit is decide what their identity is. What are we going to be offensively? I never was able to figure it out until the last game a little bit that they looked like they were, had a form of knowing what they wanted to do. They, you got to believe and put something in that you're going to, live with. And everybody that goes to the game and watches it knows what it is. I think they 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 tried too many different things and weren't good at many of them very very much. They just jumped around with too many formations, too many this, too many that, too many trick plays, too much of everything. I think they've got to get an identity on offense, know what they are, know what they're trying to accomplish, line up and and use that rather than to try to out-trick people. This is USC. Uh, at USC, you beat people up. You make them surrender. You don't try to out-trick them. And I think that's what they have to get back to offensively, ball control, win the football game, get big plays. They didn't get the big plays. They got great players. They should get big plays. Look at the Big play. I know the backs average, you know, five, six, seven, eight yards a game, whatever. But I'm talking about big plays. I'm talking about scoring like, bam, three-play drives, one-play drives, and things like that with the type of players. We didn't see that. Did not see the big plays this year on offense. And I think that's something you got to bring back into the offense. So, uh, I don't know. I think probably... The kicking game was better. A little bit, there was a couple of plays in the kicking game this year that I thought were really crucial, and then there were some calls in the kicking game this year that I wondered about. Uh, The one-two point play, I think it was against who, Arizona State or whoever it was, actually basically won the football game. But, uh, uh, you know, I think they got to be a little bit more in control of when they go for two or one. And I think they can get a little bit too fancy and, and doing a little bit too much, too much, too much of all these different formations and shifts and so on, and 
takes too much time to practice it, and then maybe you'll never use it. So that's my overall opinion. All right, Coach. Well, it's great stuff, and we appreciate you throughout the season and doing a little overtime today on the last uh, last podcast of the football season. We've got still tons more to talk about. We'll get questions every week and stuff, but we'll get, we just wanted to uh, get that good wrap-up there from you, Coach, and we appreciate all your insights. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. We want to thank all of our callers and people who email questions to us, and uh, everybody have a happy holiday season. All right, happy holidays, everyone. We'll be back next week, of course, talking on Monday. We're going to come back in 30 seconds, and we'll talk to Gerard Martinez more about what's going on with USC recruiting. And thanks to Southern California Tickets as well. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're talking to uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Just uh, playing with the podcast, doing it. We're doing our, it's our second week of Monday shows. I know it's kind of, we got to get back in the routine. We've done so much on uh, on Wednesdays. We just got to get used to this Monday rotation. Yeah, it kind of sneaks up on you. I mean, you're coming from the weekend and, you know, with recruiting, I'm always trying to organize things, and all of a sudden, bam, uh, hey, you want to do the podcast? Uh, yeah, sure. I didn't, uh, I didn't remember it. <laughs> well, Dan, we, uh, we did a double segment with Harvey because Dan Weber was on. Uh, he had a dentist appointment and stuff. Um, but, yeah. Wow, so Dennis, Dennis, I guess, for uh, USCfootball.com staff, huh? No, yeah, it's not been pretty with you guys. Uh Having all the tooth problems, but hopefully, hopefully is yours okay? Are you doing all right with your pull? Yeah, tooth? I'm good now. Yeah, I'm I'm good now. That's why I don't I don't have a list like Mike Tyson anymore. <laughs> it's not too bad. Not too bad. Well, um, we were both down on the field of the Rose Bowl on Saturday night. Man, it was a crazy feeling down there. I and mean, normally, you kind of check out and see what recruits and stuff are going on, and you know, or walking around and checking things out. We're kind of used to what the USC sidelines are, which there's really not a lot of people there now because of the sanctions and what the new rules that have come down, it was packed on the UCLA sidelines. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Rick Neuheisel's son actually plays at uh, Loyola, Jerry Neuheisel, and I think uh, pretty much all the Loyola student body was on the uh, on the field for that game, pregame, um, because there was a lot of recruits there and a lot of them that I don't think are going to be playing college football. Um and so you, know, you kind of had to kind of weave through those guys to kind of check out the guys that were there that, you know, are unofficial visitors that, you know, people are really targeting. And uh, it was a good, you know, it was a good turnout for them. And they had uh, a few guys like Donovan Smith and uh, Tony Stewart, who's the big five-star linebacker from uh, St. Augustine, Florida, who was there. And um, it's kind of interesting, you know, to watch how other teams host visits and, and uh, kind of – the setting that they provide for the kids. And I think Tony Stewart was kind of interesting because he kind of walked around by himself and, and watched him kind of wander the sidelines and uh, nobody was really on top of him. Like you would see at USC. I mean, USC, if there's one thing that they do a really good job of, if there's a kid that gets on campus and he steps on foot on campus, whether it be officially or unofficially, they're all over him. I mean, they, they, they know that they got to be on that kid, get in his ear and make sure that, uh, they're, they're paying as much attention to them as they possibly can. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to watch, you know, US, UCLA had a little more of a hands off approach. Um, I did see, uh, Brendan Scarlett and his father, uh, down the sidelines as well. He took an official visit to UCLA. Uh, he's a target defensive end, 6'5", 255, uh, from Portland, uh, who also, uh, officially visited USC. Um, so, you know, they had, some guys that uh, USC is looking at and targeting, and I'm sure that uh, the game that uh, USC was able to play, especially defensively, uh, was was definitely uh, a positive for them in the recruiting uh, wars. And um, the one guy we did not see was Colt Lyrela, and uh, he was expected to officially visit 
um, last weekend for UCLA, and I didn't see him on the field, so I don't know if he made it or not. I guess we'll have to uh, check in with Bruin Blitz and see if uh, there are any updates uh, on his uh, official visit. All right, and we uh, Jordan Payton we saw walking around there, too. He's a USC commit. Jordan Payton is not inconspicuous. Um, he <laughs> definitely stands out, and I, I just seem to bump into him everywhere. And uh, we can't, you know, talk to kids on campus at UCLA uh, just like uh, with USC, or at least I, I think out of respect for them, I, I didn't want to, you know, necessarily push any any boundaries, or I don't know what their compliance rules are to a T when it comes to recruiting. So I just kind of played it like uh, we do at UC, uh, USC. But uh, he was walking around like he owned the place, and uh, you know, I, I talked to him afterwards, kind of laughed with. Them. I said, you know, dude, you got to be a little more like uh, the Black Mamba, man. When you uh, take these unofficial visits, you got to lay low a little more, like a, you know, like an SC commit, you know, at a UCLA game. You kind of, you figure you would get uh, a little bit of a negative feedback. And he says, Nah, man. He says, You know, I, I own, the, I own the Rose Bowl, man. I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm in that hood all the time. Uh, it's not, not a big deal. So uh, he, everywhere he goes, uh, Jordan Payton is uh, definitely kind of uh, the, the, the center of attention, I guess. Yes, you can say that. And then uh, one guy you pointed out to me. One of my favorite dudes we saw up at the uh, Stanford camp, uh, Stefan Nembot, the uh, defensive end. <laughs> we got to mention him. I don't, is USC uh, recruiting? I know, like Ed Orgeron seemed to like him. You know, I mean, if there's a movie deal there, you know, if there's a there's a, a possibility that his story coming from Cameroon uh, and being uh, French African descent. Um, might uh, be, you know, interesting enough as a as a potential raw, you know, bring him back from uh, not really knowing how to play football at all to uh, being a star division recruit. Uh, maybe Ed Orgeron can can convince uh, Lane Kiffin and the coaching staff to bring him along. Obviously, you know, with. Uh, Limited amount of scholarships, you kind of have to look at, you know, who do you want to bring in? Do you bring, bring in a guy who's an athlete, who, who's a good athlete, but uh, definitely has to develop a lot in the in the realm of football technique and, and just, uh, you know, playing the game of football? Uh, or, or do you kind of take a chance and say, hey, you know what, this kid is 6'7", he's 260 pounds. I look at him and I say, you know, I think that kid could be an offensive tackle. I really think that's where his future is. He's a big kid. He's got to put on weight, but, you know, his frame – I think he could do it. I think he could be 285, uh, no problem. Um, but, you know, SC has also come in and they've looked at a guy like Tyron Smith who is a similar guy in terms of, you know, you look at him and you go, wow, this guy's just a specimen. And he's had some trouble putting on weight. And it hasn't hurt him so much in pass protection as it has in run um, blocking. And, and I think run blocking really right now, if you take away the last two seasons from USC, where they've really been uh, deficient in terms of blocking is on the edge. Uh, the tight ends and the offensive tackles have not been very consistent run blockers. And so I guess if you're looking at a guy like Nembot, you know, you're, you're looking at another real, real project. And, uh, and I don't know if USC kind of ready to do that. He's committed to Washington state right now. Um, but, uh, I look at him and I go, wow, I, I, there, there is potential. And, and as a coach, I think that it's so hard to, to pass on that. You know, you, you do get excited with all these things that, you know, bounce into your head of this kid going, wow, you know, uh, this guy could be a, a six, you know, six, seven, 265 pound defensive end. He, maybe he does grow into being a great left offensive tackle. Uh, there's a lot of potential there with a the guy like him, but yeah, he was at the game and, uh, He's, a, he's, a, he's an enjoyable guy to talk to. Uh, he's a pretty funny kid. He's really smart. He, he knows, you know, like four languages, um, nine dialects. Uh, he's, he's, he's crazy. He's, uh, he's up there at, uh, I think he's, uh, what is it, uh, the Brentwood School or something? Some, one, of the, one of the private schools up there um, in the Valley. And, uh, and evidently he's taken, you know, like six, seven classes. Uh, they're all, uh, you know, college prerequisite classes. And uh, I, I talked to him not too long ago, and, and he mentioned, you know, I just checking in on him. I said, yeah, how's everything going? He goes, oh, I'm taking, you know, like seven classes, and I'm doing all these, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, what, really, seven classes? I go, wow, man, that's a senior year. That's tough. And he goes, oh, they're all prerequisites, so I don't have to take them in college. He says, it's nothing. It's nothing. I, I take 15 college courses in Cameroon. You know, we, we don't sleep in Cameroon. We take all college courses, and, and it's dead. So evidently, the, the American, you know, high school system of, of uh, uh, prereq classes is nothing to him. So uh, he's, uh, he's having fun, and um, he's going to be playing college football somewhere. Washington State is where he's going to be right now. All right, that's Stefan Nembot. If you want to look, up, check him out. In my, my terrible French accent, I don't even have a French accent. We put we put some cool video of him up from over the summer, just jumping in athletic ability and then running over coaches and drills. So he was, <laughs> he was pretty fun. Well, let's get to Chocolate some. Bleu. Let's get to some questions. <laughs> terrible Frenchy accent there, Gerard. 
I kind of went almost into a, a little bit of Moroccan accent there when I was trying to impersonate him. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. The, what's the camera? The, there's a French influence there, right? And well, he is. Yeah, he's, he's, he speaks French, and he, he's got a French accent, but I can't do it, obviously. So yeah. I'm going to leave it alone for now. All right. Well, we'll we'll stick to what you do well, which is recruiting. <laughs> and we'll work on your accent later. Uh, Ian has a question. I was wondering if you could tell me about the linebacker recruiting situation. Some of the top linebacker prospects like Curtis Grant or Tony Stewart, do they still have high regards for USC? Gerard already mentioned Tony Stewart as being a visitor to UCLA over the weekend, but he's uh, Ian stoked with the linebackers that are already recruited. Thanks for covering the season. I love the show. Yeah, it's going to be a year where they're bringing in, I think the majority of guys are going to be um, more low-radar-type players, more of the three-star into the four-star type guys. You know, we went and saw Trey Madden last Friday, and um, he's the highest-ranked guy that I think that they really have a good, good shot at. I mean, he's committed already, so, you know, obviously. And he's not really looking at other schools. He told us um, that basically other schools have stopped, commit, uh, stopped uh, recruiting him uh, because he's committed to USC, and he's very happy with his commitment. So that's really good. He's about six foot. 215, maybe 220, plays quarterback also, and is very cerebral. I think the one thing you got to talk about when you talk about Trey Madden is that he sees the field very well, excellent awareness, great in space, great feet, and had a, just a perfect interception uh, to cap the night off against uh, Modern Day, who they beat 42-21 last Friday at the Santa Ana Bowl. And, and it, he just read the ball perfectly. It was a dig route to Victor Blackwell, which on this drive, it was late in the game, and Modern Day started kind of chucking the ball downfield. And Victor Blackwell ha- had a really good game, too. I mean, this is a guy that uh, has really been a great deep threat for Modern Day. And, and really their only big play option and, and when he's in there you you talk about difference makers and you want to see your skill players at the high school level become difference makers and he's really been a difference maker for Vic, uh, for modern day uh, Victor Blackwell over the past three years it's just been a guy that uh, you can kind of circle and say if he's playing and he's playing well they're going to win if not then they're going to struggle and so I mean that that's a positive for USC in, in, in having Victor uh, Blackwell um, committed with Trey Madden that play Blackwell is running a dig route and he's coming in real hard on the hash and they got that play a little earlier in the series they went back to it and Winnick just didn't read um, you know uh, Trey Madden very well and Trey really made a better read I think than, than, than Max did and just jumped the route and got right in between it and bam picked it off and, and could have probably done more to probably get it to the house but did the smart thing and just you know pretty much took a knee because the game was over and he didn't want to fumble or get you know stripped from behind and uh so um really smart guy really smart player good kid um good football player and and like i said you know you see that because he plays on the opposite side of the ball he's playing quarterback he played a lot of wildcat had a couple really good passes had a couple passes dropped on him actually uh completed a pass and uh and ran for a good amount of yards we're actually going to have highlights um i saw highlights of him from the wildcat and uh, that whole game coming up here pretty soon on uscfootball.com so check out for those but um he's probably the highest rated guy right now that they have a really good shot at uh cole Lyle is another guy that we kind of talked about a little bit uh being a guy that was supposed to be, uh, supposed to officially visit uh ucla but he did not at least from what we saw uh didn't see him on the sidelines didn't see him around the the rose bowl uh he's in, in a little i think he's a little higher ranked right now than uh, even madden is more of that Brian Cushing type kid, um, the, the definitely hybrid, maybe could play defensive end, stand up, play some Sam linebacker. You know, it, it's going to be interesting to see if USC has a legitimate shot. It's going to come down, and, and he, he mentioned this not too long ago, of, of figuring out whether he wants to stay in state or not. You know, at, at this point, I don't know what other schools he's really seriously considering outside of the state of Oregon other than USC. Um, you know, again, we'll have to see if he officially visited UCLA. It would have definitely been a positive for USC if he would have officially visited UCLA last week. And if he didn't, then, you know, they didn't get to, to, to kind of show off their defense in front of him again. And, and, and another thing that's positive is if he's taken two trips to Southern California, um, you know, and, and, and those being, you know, his first two official visits, that's also positive for USC. Uh, I, I think down the line you've got a guy like Lamar Dawson who's scheduled his official visit to USC for January 14th. 
a big kid, um, a, a, a closer to Kent Kareen uh, than I think the other players that have been mentioned. Uh, I think Trey Madden is, is, is playing Mike right now at the high school level. I think you're going to bump him over to weak side. I, I think that's a, a good place for him because he's a little smaller. I think a guy that can really kind of run down plays and clean up plays better. I don't know if he's a forced guy. I don't know if he's a guy that you, you'd ever want to put on, on a line of scrimmage as a Sam or even putting him in the middle of the defense. You know, in the Tampa, too, because it's such a, a coverage-heavy position to play Mike, he might be able to get away with that, but I, I, I fear that you, you get him on a lineman or you get him on a big fullback or a team that really has a power running game, he's a little small right now. So I think you push him over to week. I think Colt Lyla could play Sam. He could maybe play Mike. It depends on just how tall he is and how angular he is in taking on blocks. Um, and, and then you got a guy like uh, you got a guy like Dawson who I think is more of a Mike. I think he's a bigger kid really kind of naturally strong, pretty rangy. Um, you know, watching him, he plays running back. He's a pretty good running back, uh, got good feet. He's pretty good in coverage. Um, I think overall kind of just a good player with a big body, a lot more like Kent Tureen. And Kent Tureen I, I kind of compare to as a – Maybe a poor man's Vontez Perfect. You know, I, I don't I don't know if he's if he's quite as, as explosive and, and quite you know the playmaker as uh, Vontez Perfect was. Uh, but he's a huge kid. I mean, we saw him in person when he came out here for his uh, unofficial visit um, over spring ball or excuse me over fall camp. And he's a good six three two thirty at least. I mean, he's he's definitely every bit as big as he's listed. And that's a kid that you could you know maybe get away with playing Mike or Sam. I don't know if you would play him at will again with with Trey. Madden there, I think you got to put him at uh, Mike or, or Sam, and, and Mike, it really depends on how much he can 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 absorb from a scheme standpoint and a playbook standpoint. That's the real big deal with Mike. You got to have guys that are smart. You got to have guys that understand, you know, what you're trying to do in the defense schematically and be able to cover. And so that those those be the issues with him playing Mike. But uh, those are kind of the guys that they're focused in on. You know, Tony Stewart. They're going to try. I mean, you can just bet USC right now. They're they're going to continue to try to call and try to be on top of every top uh, linebacker there are out there. Uh, Curtis Grant's a guy that's kind of come and gone. He's not leaving the East Coast. Um, there's a few players like that that they've recruited that aren't leaving the East Coast. Uh, Brett Callaway is a, a kid committed to Alabama who's about 6'2", um, 215 pounds, who you know says he really wants to visit USC, but he's been committed to Alabama since uh, his junior year and is from Russellsville, Alabama. So that's another guy that's a little bit of a stretch. I think really the guys that you're you're focused in on are, are Madden, Lila Dawson, um, Kent Tureen, and, and maybe you know kind of a under the radar type guy uh, like. Like a, a Tyler Gray, or you know, maybe a Rodney Hardrick uh, out there in Colton, who's about six two, two twenty five, who's an excellent player in coverage and um, a guy that uh, coming back from an ACL. But in terms of just his ability on tape, I mean, he really jumps out at you as being a really good linebacker. And I, I think that's when you're looking for quantity in this class, you're going to have to find some guys like that that you can project and are going to be able to kind of develop within the program and do good things for you that way. Or not necessarily the big time five star guys that you're going to bring in that'll be marquee recruits. All right. Uh, so that's a linebacker situation in a nutshell or a little bit bigger than that. Um, let's talk about Cyrus Cajaro. Uh, they, I don't know why his name always comes up. We talked about him on the show last week, the TV show, uscfootball.com TV. But maybe give people an update of what's going on with his recruitment. I think people love to ask questions about him just to hear you like sweat every time you got to say his name because you look at that and it does not, it's, not, it's not spelled like it's pronounced. <laughs> no, it's really weird looking. Cyrus Cacharo. Um yeah, you know, he's uh, he's a big time recruit because USC just needs linemen. And he's uncommitted and unlike uh, Lyle Collins who officially visited uh, a few weeks ago for uh, it was with the Oregon game, he came in. Um, you know, he's not attached to any one school specifically. And his top five at this point, uh, which I think excites USC fans also, is Alabama. Um he's got uh, Miami uh, he's got uh, New Mexico, which is kind of a off the ball kind of school. We explained that on the on the live show the other night. Um, there's a coach, Mike Loxley, who uh, used to be the offensive coordinator, uh, I think, at Illinois, and was a coach at uh, Maryland, who has a lot of Maryland ties. Um, who, you know, obviously with the Maryland ties, that's kind of why New Mexico was in there. Um, and then uh, he's got USC, and uh, what was the other school that he's got in there? He's got another kind of random school in there, but none, but none of the schools outside Alabama really seem like serious, serious contenders right now. And so a lot of people feel like, hey, you know what, 
SC might have a shot here. Is a kid who comes from a private school, Dematha High School uh, in Hayesville, uh, Maryland. Uh, is a kid that uh, you know his brother officially visited USC. Really liked the visit. Really had a good relationship with James Craig. And I think that spills over, and that's kind of why people kind of feel like, hey, you know what, if he comes in on an official visit late in January, maybe they have an even better shot. Uh, he's kind of distanced himself a little bit from the talk that he's just going to follow his brother to Alabama, his brother Ari, who was uh, recruited heavily last year, committed to Alabama, is at Alabama. Uh, one of the interesting things that came up in one of his recent interviews was that he didn't want to necessarily have to compete for that starting job with his brother. They keep talking about booking offensive tackles at Alabama and how you know they could be you know Kajaro on both sides of the offensive line. But the truth is, you know Alabama's got DJ Fluker there, so it's going to be difficult for both those guys to start. And they've got DJ Fluker, Fluker who a lot of people feel is going to be maybe a, f- a future first round pick. Um, there that they're going to be able to come in and really play you know across from each other, playing on both sides of the offensive line and maybe they want to play the same position on the offensive line so there's a lot of intangibles there there's a lot of things kind of floating around and factors that you know that are going to be dealt with over the recruiting process USC has been on a kid from day one from the jump basically offered him uh, I think not too long after uh, they offered uh, his brother Ari when the coaches were still at Tennessee so the relationship has also been built there with the whole coaching staff Um, it's going to become an issue of distance Uh, you know is he really going to want to leave the East Coast? Um, is he going to want to, you know, not just leave the East Coast, but leave that time zone altogether? Uh, there's a lot of those kind of questions that come along, but, you know, we have to see how he, you know, when he officially visits, what his, uh, you know, opinion of the school is after he officially visits, uh, and, and kind of, you know, how it all shakes out in, in that manner. So we'll see. I mean, it's it's definitely one guy that uh, everybody's excited about, left tackle, you know, in that 6'6 six, six range. To, you know, 315 pounds, athletic. Uh, again, everybody wants that big-time offensive tackle to kind of put into this class, and he's the big fish. And I think if USC really has a standout recruiting class, it's going to be because they get a guy like Collins or Cajaro. Uh, they got to get somebody big on the offensive line to kind of like make that statement because they're going to go after not only quality, but they're going to go after quantity too. So you're going to have numbers there. It's just I think everybody wants that one marquee guy, just like they want it linebacker, but at this point, I don't think it's going to happen at linebacker. I think it's a better chance it happens at offensive line. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff as always, and we appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and chatting about recruiting, and uh, hope everything's going well with you. Well, I guess we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've got uh, some visitors this weekend. You know, we'll we'll see if uh, anything comes of it. I think we will see some things come of it. Um, just a little wink and a nod, but, uh, you know, Check in uh, Monday. We might uh, have some news for you. Yeah, so check out uscfootball.com the rest of the week. We're going to be really focusing on recruiting for the month of December, and we'll be at the All-American Bowl in January. So lots of recruiting news will be coming up leading up the next couple months till signing day. And it's a long, long time till signing day. Yeah. So <laughs> buckle your seatbelts, folks. Lots can happen. Well, we appreciate it, Gerard. Thanks for uh Check it in with us, everyone else out there. Thank you very much for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We really appreciate all the questions and comments. Check us out on peristylepodcast.com or send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.